It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Serlina Maxwell, and we are very excited to interview the director of a new documentary about female sexuality called The Dilemma of Desire. Maria Finizzo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I think this might be the first. I mean, we, we this is a feminist morning show. So, yep. you know, if you wake up this early and you tune into us, you just might hear about periods. I think this is probably the first time that we have said clitoris on air this morning. I've never I've a- never said it. Yeah, well, no, I think I'm 100 percent all- certain I've never said it on air. Well, let's talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, the question is, why the hell don't we talk about it? And why? Why has it been erased from our sexual health education? Let's just start there. <laughs> well, um, it's my opinion that the reason the clitoris has been re- erased throughout history has to do with power. So, you know. You really don't want an oppressed body of people knowing that they are entitled to anything in life, right? Right. And certainly sexual pleasure is one of those. That's one of the things, right? It's the most intimate form expression of our humanity. And so anybody in a body born female um, has this organ on their body that has one function in life, and that's sexual pleasure. And it's also to know that can be very empowering. And so I believe that to withhold that information the way it has been throughout history and it continues to be withheld today is a way of disconnecting women from identifying, you know, with a a vital source of their humanity and a vital source of their sense of power and voice. And so imagine that we never, imagine that we taught sex education and didn't mention the penis to boys. I mean, it's absurd, you can't imagine it. But imagine that's the way we taught them about sex. This is literally so true. Like literally like the entire premise of our sexual education in school, at least in my experience. And I know in many other folks experience, because unless you went to a school that was like super progressive and forward thinking, your education was minimal. And it was about Uh like how to not get pregnant and how to not get a disease. And it wasn't I don't remember anybody ever telling me anything about it like about it feeling good ever not when <laughs> one class or that you or that you had on your body the capacity could do it myself i didn't even good. need the boy right. nobody even said right. don't or the, even or need the, the partner boy. well right. i mean that's that's the whole dangerous thing about the the clit right is that like the fact of it completely belies the way we think about sex and under the patriarchy like the idea that we have an organ that's got one purpose and that purpose has nothing to do with childbirth not a goddamn mm. thing that's dangerous, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, think about the way, I don't know how, maybe you guys weren't brought up this way, but I was certainly brought up this way to think of myself as a receptacle for yeah. male pleasure. And the clitoris, knowing where it is, what it looks like, and the fact that it's a really pretty, it's a kick-ass organ, okay? It's a really kick-ass <laughs> really one of my favorites, to be perfectly um, honest. You know, it, 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 it upends that entire notion of what a sexual encounter is about. Yeah. And I don't think and I think it's it upends it in a good way, because 
you know, I, I truly believe that people who engage in, you know, in sex with partners want their partners to enjoy it. Right. And so I think this takes a lot of pressure off certainly men to have to understand what would make a woman have pleasure. I mean, if she doesn't know how she's, how's he supposed to know? Right. So this is so critically important for, for a variety of reasons. Number one, because, um, it, it exposes a couple of different flaws in the system. So we already talked about how we don't learn about it in school and sexual education, but one of my pet peeves in culture is that we don't do this right in porn or in regular movies. We don't do it right, right in either place. Correct. And, and so the reason, I mean, part, part of the problem that I have, let's just talk about regular movies. Cause like porn's that's a whole other topic, but regular movies, there are times where like you're watching a scene in in a regular movie and the woman is moaning and they're, they're not even around her clitoris in any way. Like they're not, and and they're not even in the ballpark. And I'm like, so why is she like, I'm just like, "Mm, I don't think she's actually having an orgasm in that moment. I think this is, this is acting (laughs) like this is not, this is not an accurate portrayal of a sexual encounter. And I think it's actually teaching people, wrong um and because it doesn't focus on that it literally so pretends it doesn't exist you're absolutely right and, and i was surprised you know it took me about six years to make this movie and so nothing really changed in the portrayal of a sexual huh. encounter between two heterosexual people in the six years i was making this movie and so it's there's a lot at stake in making sure that the lie remains in place okay there's a lot at stake, right? Because I think one of the subjects in my film says that, that you know, in talking about Audre Lorde's writing, that if a woman understands the full capacity of her life, including her sexual pleasure, she won't settle for less. And one of the men says, that the one guy in the film says, you know, a woman who's, you know, has the knowledge of her sexuality and is sexually empowered is deeply, deeply threatening to most men. So that there's a lot at stake in keeping that lie in place, Right. And then, the, but there's a it more, even a worse byproduct of that lie. And that is, is that when women don't experience pleasure through heteronormative sex, they think there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Right. When it's, that's a, that's, that's the whole thing. Well, what's the matter with women? What, what's wrong with women? Why don't they have a sex drive? Why don't they want to have sex? Right. And so that's the thing that just keeps getting perpetuated. And, and it, it, it starts early. I mean, I remember my, you know, my own sexual health education happened a little bit in school and a little bit from parents and a lot from movies. <laughs> and, and I definitely rem- like regular, normal movies. I mean, we used to have a lot more sex scenes in movies than we do today. I don't yeah. know if kids today know that, but like in the eighties and the nineties, it was just sort of like Derriger that like, if you know, Top Gun has a sex scene in it, why? I don't know. It's a movie about jets. <laughs> Point is there were lots and lots of sex scenes in movies when, when I was growing up and I want to, hundred percent thought that there was something wrong with my body or my person because it just didn't work that way for me. And it wasn't until I don't know. I mean, I grew up in New York City, so it was probably like late teens. It wasn't, you know, my 30s, luckily. But figuring out that that there was this whole other side of female pleasure that you simply you had to like look in a women's magazine that was particularly progressive. You're like you couldn't even right. find it in 17 or in Vogue. You had to find it in like bitch or Ms or one of those <laughs> to figure out that like actually most women don't orgasm from the kinds of sex that we show on movies. The vast majority of them do not. And the ones that can great, good for you. But like 
that's not the norm. And we're teaching young girls at an early age that there's something wrong with them. That's got to have implications for their own sense of power uh, way beyond the ability to like understand their sexual pleasure. Well, and that's the sort of the, the point of the movie gets into that. It's that it's a way of silencing. I think Sonny, who's in the movie, says you're not taught about this part on your body because your voice isn't heard in so many other ways. And yeah. that's the real danger yeah. of omitting, you know, the liable mission, right? And so imagine like what would Philip Roth have written about if he didn't know he had a penis? <laughs> Like, seriously, like he almost won a Nobel Prize for doing that. Right. And so so you you, we we have been robbed of a vital part of our our humanity and our creativity and our capacity for joy in our lives and certainly our power when we are not when we don't even own the language of our bodies or the knowledge of our bodies. I want to ask specifically about one of the women that you feature in the documentary, Dr. Stacey Dutton, who is is working to push the publishing industry to stop leaving out (laughs) vital parts of the female anatomy, like like the clitoris in in textbooks. One, how frustrating is it that there is someone who needs to do that work? And (laughs) and two, tell me everything about her. Um, so, so as you see in the movie, she's a she's an incredible, awesome human being and um, and a vital part of the film. And she's, you know, she was she's a Ph.D. in biology. And when she realized she had never seen an image of the clitoris and had no idea what it looked like on her body, it made her really angry. And so she is in her quest to, first of all, study the biology of the clitoris, which is important. It is an organ on our bodies. Right. Um, which no one knows anything about, but also to force a very powerful industry, the publishing publishing industry, particularly the, the educational publishing industry, to publish the truth. Okay, so this is a woman who is committed to getting the truth about women's anatomy and their sexual pleasure uh, published. Right? Mm-hmm. She has a huge battle ahead of her. I, I used to do educational videos many many years ago, and I remember. Um, the educational publisher telling us that if the book didn't sell in Texas, it didn't sell. So educational mm. publishers are, they're not just, they just haven't, it's not just that they've forgotten to put the clitoris in the, the anatomy part. They <laughs> well, if they were all written it. by men, they might've. Right. Well, they purposely yeah. have left it out because there is a part of this country and we're all not surprised about this, that don't really think, that anybody other than heterosexual white men deserve agency over their lives. And so um, that's, you know, that's what she's up against. And, you know, she's an amazing woman and she just doesn't give up. She just, she won't give up. And it's, you know, to see her teach at Agnes Scott with her students is really inspiring. And yeah, she's, she's, she's amazing. I mean, this conversation makes me hopeful but also like sad and yeah sad in some ways because you know i've had the conversation i mean like as a as a pretty outspoken feminist you know you can imagine i have always you you probably would assume that i've always sort of been as outspoken on these issues but that's not actually true because i was raised by two pastors (laughs) so um (laughs) this is this has been an evolution for me too and i but i also feel like I remember even being in high school and being very like, you know, when I was sort of being shaped and molded into 
a particular type of woman and resisting that as much as possible, feeling like that that was uh, I'm trying to be I'm, I'm being put in a box like I'm being told something the opposite of my male cousins who are of the same age. And why is that? Like they can have sex. I can't have sex. This is dumb. Like, I don't understand the difference between us other than he's a boy. I'm a girl. That's it. That's the only difference. And so you're going to like my worth is in whether I'm not having I'm having sex as a teenager, you know, like whether or not I'm having sex as a 20 year old and whether or not I'm married to a man as a 30 year old and have kids like those are the those are I mean, still to this day, I, I am frustrated by this. So but this goes all the way back to um, when I was you know, coming of age. And during my evolution, one of the things I realized is that your original point is so true. Like the fact that I'm nearly 40, Jess is 40. I'm nearly 40. I am. Um, And I know, I know, like I I had a moment, you know, a few years back, I was like, okay, coming up on 40. So, you know, what would life be like without a male partner? What would life be like without a husband or like a long term partner? Um, And I was like, it would kind of be fine. It would be real fun. I would be traveling. I would like I I, I was like, oh, this is this whole other world I never thought about. (laughs) Um, Can you talk about the ways in which when you start sort of with a more progressive um, viewpoint on sexuality generally, it sort of opens up a whole world of possibilities that that affect every aspect because once you sort of get away from the fact that you know everybody says i should be married by this age and have a husband and then have a couple kids and a white picket fence or whatever fantasy people are selling um you know once you sort of let that go from from and start start with your own sexuality the possibilities are endless I, I would agree. And I think one of the exciting things that I experienced in the film is that, um, you know, when I was, I'm really old. And so when I was growing up, you were heterosexual or you, we didn't talk about what you were. OK, this is a long time ago. So that was just it. You, you had no um, no other identity than what the established identity was that was accepted in society. OK. And now what's been so exciting is to see that young people have pushed that. Um, pushed that out and said, don't, I, I'm not going to identify as male. I'm not going to identify as female. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I could be gay. I could be attracted to a man. I could be attracted to a woman. And so for me, what that did is it said, wow, this notion of our sexuality as human beings doesn't have to be so restrictive, right? It can not be based on gender, but rather the person. And that's I know that, the, you know, not everybody embraces sexual fluidity in the world right now, but it is a it is, a, for me, a very exciting and freeing way for people to start to think about how they might love another person. Right. That mm-hmm. they don't have to restrict themselves. And, I, you know, I also feel, you know, Kat, you said you said an operative word, you use the word fantasy. And, you know, I have seen the wedding industry turn into this ridiculous industry. <laughs> all centered around the bride's special day. And it's not even a day. Now there are parties in Vegas and, you know, it's just, it's grown into this ridiculous thing. Right. And I said to somebody recently who is not getting married, I said, you know, the day after 
your friend's wedding, she's going to be the same person she was the day before. She's going to be lonely. She's going to have things in her life that she's not happy about. And, and her marriage won't change anything. And I have nothing against marriage or people who decide to get married. I got nothing against it. I have a lot against the, the perception or the, the campaign that it is the only way women can find happiness. Um, and I, I think that what's exciting is that this, you know, queer culture and young people saying, you know, uh, I'm going to live in love the way that makes sense to me. And if it's a man, it's a man. If it's a woman, it's a woman. And if it's somebody who doesn't identify as either, that's none of your business either. Um, and so I think that that gives us the potential for breaking down all of these sort of cages we're all in. Right. Right. Well, then we don't That's have exactly to be what it stuck felt. with prescriptive gender roles. Right. That's exactly what it felt like, though, is a cage. Like I was I, I was trying to I was like being pushed into like you're going to grow old and become sort of like a spinster, like the, the cat lady on the credit card or not the credit card, the, the, the card game when we were kids. Um, yeah, hold me and yeah <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna end up maid. like her that's one option for you or you're gonna have a husband and it'll be perfect because or not perfect because like even in i guess hollywood they don't just they don't depict marriage as like the happily ever after like they do in the disney movies but that's your only option and for me i think also it has to do with like the marriages and relationships you're exposed to growing up i think that has that that shapes how you see um marriage as like a good thing or a bad thing in the future um but i also think that for me i just from my from very early age people try to tell me what i'm supposed to do and i resist that all the time i mean i am i won't you tell me what to do i will do the opposite you you tell me to wear a blue shirt i will wear red because you told me to do a thing like I, that's just my core um, instinct. Um, and it's 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 weird because in other contexts, I'm mu very much a rule follower, um, usually when the person in power has the ability to like harm me. If the rules make sense, follow we follow the them. If they don't, we um, don't. That's but it. but in, but yeah. But in this instance, I've, I very much from an early age rejected so much of this. I remember my mom trying to like, you know, acculturate me <laughs> indoctrinate could be another word for it um into like how i'm supposed to be and just like i remember physically resisting like you just being like i don't want to sit with my legs crossed like you know like i just i i resisted because i did not feel i felt like it was it was limiting me at an early age like putting me in a box at eight you know do you think that one of the problems too is that w we start so young that we don't even allow anyone to come up with an original idea about who they want to become in this area at all. We just literally box you in. I mean, it starts from like gender reveal parties. Like it, it, we, we, we're not even here yet. And they're already like <laughs> giving you a pink shirt and telling you you're supposed to do this. Um, that is, I, it, it really feels like, like um, intractable, but also very fun to have this conversation because you're right younger gen z's they they're not about this life <laughs> well you know the i think uh, i think for me what i think would be most exciting would be to finally see and i know i'm dreaming here all of the the patriarchal you know structures start to disappear because the patriarchy doesn't work for men either now they're in a cage we're in a cage 
it's a better looking cage for a man, but it doesn't, it's still a cage. Mm. And so to, to, to try and dissolve that system that is in place, right. Would, would I think be an incredible social accomplishment um, because so it so much, so many bad things stem from that. Right. You know, right. But it's but it's a big it's a big challenge. Like, just think about if you went to church, the, one of the prayers you said was started with the words, our father, our father who art in heaven. So we have a long way to go. Um, but I think that, you know, what's happening now with younger people, the conversations that are happening um, with the women in my film who are doing incredible work, you know, Stacy Dutton, Lisa Diamond, Sophia Wallace, you know, T. Chang they're starting to create a conversation where there's a place for other people to join. And that I think is important. Um, so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful too. I'm, I'm glad that your documentary got made. I'm glad that it's receiving, it's, it's getting the reception that it is. I, I hope everybody checks it out. Uh, it's good family fun. The Dilemma of Desire is the documentary. Maria Finito, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It Thank was you very much for having me. Thank absolutely so awesome much. to talk to you. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 